Welcome, New Hope, to the second installment of Living in the Age of Rage. We thought it was most appropriate to bring you here to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, for us to talk about the unfortunate reality that we now live not in the United States of America, but in the divided states of America. And we're standing here at Independence Hall, where the Liberty Bell once rung inside that building, and now it is stored right over here to my left. And we thought it was most appropriate to dig into the word of the Lord today and talk about how the church can be a part of the healing process. I wanna to talk to you a little bit about that Liberty Bell. It's a large bell, it's a traditional symbol of the United States freedom. And it was commissioned in 1751 by the Pennsylvanian Provincial Assembly to hang in the new state house behind me, which is now Independence Hall. But it was cast in London and delivered in August of 1752. It was cracked by a stroke of the clapper while being tested and was twice recast in Philadelphia before being hung in the State House steeple in June of 1753. And it bears the motto from Leviticus 25:10, proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all of its inhabitants. The legend is that on July 4th, 1776, the bell was rung to signal the Continental Congress adoption of the Declaration of Independence. But like I said, that is a legend and it is actually untrue. It was rung four days later on July 8th to celebrate the first public reading of the document. The name Liberty Bell was first applied in 1839 in an abolitionist pamphlet. I chose this location for this particular message, the divided states of America, because after the divisive civil war, Americans sought a symbol of unity. The flag became one such symbol and the Liberty Bell another. To help heal the wounds of the war, the Liberty Bell would travel across the country to unite the country around doing what was right. You guys have often heard me quote the great late Dr. Martin Luther King when he said, the time is always right to do the right thing. Speaking of King, each year, the bell is gently tapped in honor of Martin Luther King Day. To this day, oppressed groups come to Philadelphia to give voice to their plight at the Liberty Bell, proclaiming their call for liberty and unity in the pursuit of doing what is right. Again, New Hope Church, welcome to part two of living in the age of rage. And I gotta be honest with you, church, the truth is I need this series as much as any of you because the reality is I live in the very same world you do. All of us can fall prey, if you will, to some anger and we can start to get very divisive in the way we carry ourselves and the language that we use. 
And if there's one word I would use to describe where we find ourselves in the last eight months in 2020, it's the word divided. Currently, we're not the United States of America. In fact, I don't think we've been the United States of America for quite some time. We are actually the divided states of America. Instead of our current challenges uniting us, they seem to be irreparably dividing us, dividing families, dividing communities, dividing schools, dividing churches, dividing the country. It seems that as I look around, we seem to be divided about almost everything. Think about it. We're divided over our politics. We're divided over Trump and Biden. We're divided over CNN and Fox News. We're divided over race. We're divided over standing or kneeling. We're divided over schools being opened or closed. We're divided over in-person or online church. We're divided over hydroxychloroquine. We're divided over football or no football. Heck, this summer we were even divided over Chick-fil-A versus Popeye's chicken sandwich. The spicy chicken sandwich wars rage on. And good grief, we've gotten to the point that we can't even talk about mask or not because masks have us divided. Now here's what's really, really important and here's what I deeply believe. Satan, the devil, The evil one is just laughing as this country continues to get more and more divided. I believe he's not only laughing, he's actually celebrating with all of this because one of his great strategies is to divide, especially to divide God's people, the church of Jesus Christ. And Satan knows that if he can get us divided, if he can get us infighting and backstabbing, he knows he's one. Because here's why, church. When the church is united, it is the strongest force on planet Earth. When the church is united, the gates of hell, the Bible says, will not overcome it. When the church is united, it is an unstoppable force for good in the world. So today, I wanna talk to us about healing the divided states of America. You see, I believe the only hope for the division in our land is for unity to be modeled in the diversity of God's church. Now, the way I said that is really important, that unity is modeled amidst our diversity in the church of Jesus Christ. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me tell you a little bit about the Corinthian church. Talking about being divided, sometimes we think we have these new problems going on, but the truth is the Corinthian church was full of fighting and divisions. There were schisms, there were cliques, there were clubs, there were disunity in the church. In fact, Paul devotes the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. I encourage you to read those this week. Just go home and read 1 Corinthians 1 through chapter 4. And he begins with this impassionate plea for unity in 1 Corinthians 1 chapter 10. 
He says, I appeal to you. In other words, I plead with you. It's a strong word there. Paul is saying, I beg you, brothers and sisters. Remember last week we talked about we are family and we not so much want to make a point as much as we want to make a difference in this world. Paul says, I beg you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, check it out, and that there be no divisions. The word there is schisms or schisma in the Greek. And it means a split or a division or a better translation interpretation is a ripping or a tearing apart. Paul says that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So how do we fight for unity? I want you to notice that there are two aspects to this call of unity in verse 10. One, that you be perfectly united in mind and secondly, that we are perfectly united in thought. That phrase, perfectly united, comes from a word that you would use to mend a broken fishing net. It's, it's a word that we might use today that a doctor would heal a broken bone. Paul is saying, I encourage you to be perfectly united You see, Paul knew that there were some divisions in this church, and he also knew that those divisions could be healed. When Paul says, I want you to be perfectly united or healed in mind and thought, what he is saying is this, that we are to be united in the essentials of our faith, in the non-negotiables of Christian belief. He goes, I want you to be united in your mind. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the essentials of who Jesus is and what he came to do. That he's God's son. That he came to die on a cross for my sins and yours. And because he rose again, we will rise again. And because we have that resurrection power inside of us, we can be a united church. But secondly, in those areas of non-essentials, in those areas where scripture is not black and white, in those areas of opinion that are open for discussion, Paul says, I want you to be united in thought. I want you to be able to disagree without being disagreeable. Now church, that's really important. We can actually disagree in the non-essential issues and we can do it in that brotherly love that this city represents. We can be, or should I say, we can disagree without being disagreeable. One of the phrases I've always loved and used a lot in the early days of this church is this phrase, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty, come on now, but in all things, love. Say that with me. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Because Jesus said 
that they would know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. Now guys, I've been a student of the church for 32 years now. And I've seen churches split. The truth is some of you have come from churches. You grew up in churches that split. And I had this thought actually this morning that many of us love New Hope because we are so unified. But in the process of being so unified, if we are not careful, we will start to assume that we could never split as a church. And I believe that assumption would be, I don't know, maybe presumptuous, maybe arrogant. Because you see, the reality is if we don't keep our minds and our hearts right, if we don't stay perfectly united in mind and thought as Paul is teaching us, the truth is we could split as well one day. And may it never be in the life and ministry of New Hope Church. But we have to keep coming back to passages like this. And we have to ask ourselves, what are the essentials of the faith? Well, it's the gospel, as I've already said. It's the church as the hope of the world. It is the authority of scripture. It is the lordship of Jesus. It is all of those essentials. What are the non-essentials? Well, the non-essentials consist of things like the style of our music, what we wear to church, right? How a pastor dresses, what programs we do, political convictions, color of paint, when we gather, how we gather. Those are all non-essential. Someone asked me not long ago, hey, pastor, can I get baptized in a Speedo? <laughs> is that an essential issue or is that a non-essential issue? I would say it's a non-essential issue, but I would also say the answer is only yes if you wear a long New Hope shirt to cover up your Speedo. Essentials and non-essentials. It helps us to learn to think about that. Paul is not calling us, this is so important church, Paul is not calling us to uniformity or even unanimity. He's calling us to unity for the relationships to be healed, to be united. Doesn't mean that we're going to see everything the same. To be united doesn't mean that we are going to agree on everything. To be united doesn't mean that we are all going to vote the same exact way. To be united doesn't mean we are going to have the same opinion about issues. We need to stop confusing uniformity with unity. Oh, unity can handle diversity of opinions. Unity can handle diversity of ethnicity. Unity can handle diversity of genders and even politics. In fact, I would say it like this, church. You really don't have unity, think about it, unless you have diversity. If you don't have diversity, what you really just have is a homogenous collection of the same. You only have unity when you have diversity. And the beauty of the body of Christ 
is that even in the midst of our diversity, we can have unity. Or as one of our life groups is called at New Hope Church, unified diversity. And that is where God has uniquely positioned us as a church to put on display what it looks like to be the body of Christ. Paul would go on to say that there are quarrels, there are cliques, there are all these things that cause this division in the church. We say no. We say like the Liberty Bell is wrong, we are going to stand tall and be united in the midst of our diversity. We are going to love people like we talked about last week. We're not going to turn over people. We might occasionally turn over a table or two, but when it's all said and done, we are going to love people. Look at verse 12. The apostle talks about the cliques in the church there in Corinth. People were starting to say, I follow Paul. You know, Paul rocks. Others would say, you know what? I follow Apollos. Apollos is the man. Third, there was another group that had this motto, I follow Cephas. No one's quite like Cephas. But then the apostle Paul says there's this other group and they declare we follow Christ. And Paul says in verse 13, he asked three rhetorical questions that demand the answer of no. He says, is Christ divided? Has he been chopped up into pieces? Meganoitai, he says, absolutely not. Was Paul crucified for you? Again, by no means, Meganoitai, no. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? 1 Corinthians 13, he says again, no, no, no. What Paul is saying is that the most important thing we can do in the church of Jesus Christ is focus on Christ and Christ alone, to declare that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and it all derives from the God-man, Jesus Christ. You know, I think the world is sick and tired of hearing about the love of Jesus. What they really wanna see is the love of Jesus amongst Jesus' followers. It all comes down to us being focused on Christ and the unique mission that he has given us. We exist, come on now, to reach people with the hope of Jesus, to teach them to follow God's word and release world changers. And as long as we keep that focus, that emphasis on Christ and Christ alone, not a Paul, not Apollos, not Cephas, not any other contemporary preachers that we hear and see out there, but we keep our focus on Jesus and our mission to reach, teach, and release, we will stay unified as a church. We will live in this angry, rageful world with a love and a peace that passes all understanding and the world will take notice of our unified diversity and the way we love one another. I wanna tell you a story that I recently came across and it moved me rather deeply. 
I read about a vacation Bible school that was meeting last summer in Oregon. And they tell about a second grade class being visited in the middle of the week by a little boy with a physical challenge. You see, this little boy only had one arm. And the teacher did not want to make the child feel awkward. She did not want to cause any moments where the kid just felt a little conspicuous. But you know how children are. Some of them stared at the little child. The teacher tried to work around it, but she got on with the lesson plan of the day, and she said the class started to handle it okay. At the end of the day, though, she forgot herself, and she said to all the children in the class that day, hey, we want to do a little exercise. Maybe you learned it in vacation Bible school as well. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open up the doors and see all the people. She taught the kids this lesson that has gone back for many, many years. And then she realized as she got into it, she remembered the kid that showed up that day. The kid with the physical challenge. The kid with only one arm. And so she caught herself and she stood in silence for a moment. And then she looked over in the corner where the child was and a little girl had made her way over to the little boy. And she said to the little boy, come on, Davy, let's build the church together. And she took one of her arms and her hand and matched it up with his hand and they did it together. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open up the church and see all the people. You know, New Hope, it's time for us to follow the example of that little girl. It's time for us to pull together, regardless of our physical barriers or hindrances, regardless of where we come from, regardless of our non-essential beliefs, holding fast to those things that are essential. It is time for us as a church to put unity, or should I say unified diversity on display. And in the same way that the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia has been a reminder to us as a nation that we need to come together, so is the church. We are a reminder to the world that we can come together despite and in spite of all of our differences and we can release the church in the world. And to the extent to which we do that, our witness and our impact for Christ will rise and fall on how we learn to love one another. May God's will be done in this nation during these days. But most importantly, may God's will be done in New Hope Church. May we genuinely and sincerely love one another because as we do, and as we love those who are not even in our church, trust me, the world will take notice And as the world grows more and more angry and rageful 
and divided, we will look more and more countercultural, and they will take notice. And I believe they will praise our God who is in heaven and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this beautiful location in which to unpack your word. Father, thank you for the teaching that we find in 1 Corinthians as Paul was trying to teach the church how to be united. Father, as a people, may new hope always remember that our unity, our strength comes from our diversity where we are perfectly united in mind and thought and deed. And Father, that we can put on display what it looks like to live in this divided world with beautiful unity. God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this season and we pray for our nation. Father, we pray that your will would be done on November 3rd. And we thank you that regardless of who steps into that highest office in the land, on November 4th and 5th and 6th and beyond, the Lord Jesus Christ will always be King. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.